0: Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you are listening to the Long Game Podcast. This episode is a part of our Kitchen Side series, where we pull back the curtain and show you the -the behind-the-scenes conversations, debates, strategies, and brainstorming sessions that we have at our agency, Omniscient Digital. This episode, we went deep into the ever-present brand marketing debate. There was this viral campaign, you've probably seen it, with Snoop Dogg and a, a stove company, where Snoop Dogg said that he was giving up smoke, but he meant smokeless grills. It garnered a ton of attention on social. There was tons of meme accounts posting about it. It went viral, but it seemed to disappoint in sales, leading to the firing of the company's CEO. So lots of hot takes about this. We basically use this event as an anchor to discuss the meaning of brand. What does brand mean, fundamentally? And brand campaigns, how we uh, relate to and, and differ from when we talk about brand campaigns performance marketing goals and performance marketing campaigns, as well as the timelines and metrics that are used to calculate brand campaign effectiveness, and also the maturity stages of companies who should even be looking into this stuff. Is this even relevant to you if you're an early stage startup? We also talked about demand generation again, and specifically how it's so damn hard to understand what people are talking about in B2B because we keep creating new terms for old concepts. We, we even wonder cynically if some of this confusion is deliberate. And we turn everything into an acronym. So we talk about the words that we use and how they tend to obfuscate rather than illuminate. So here we go. Enjoy this kitchen side episode of the Long Game Podcast.
1: What the hell does demand gen actually mean? What are people talking about when they say demand creation? When does content marketing cease to be content marketing and it's more growth marketing? We can talk about brand, what the hell's brand. steep dog campaign failure came up a cold times. So I mean, where do y'all want to start? I feel like half of these are just the, Alex
0: doesn't know what words mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have a short definitional segment in our kitchen side today. But I, I really do believe now that Businesses have had to tighten the purse strings, like really pull in real results from every marketing team. I do think that the definition and the function that these play, especially for B2B SaaS has changed since we've last talked about it.
0: Well, I thought the demand generation, it was on a call with David, I was like, what do people mean by this anymore? Because it used to sort of be like a performance marketer that was maybe running ads and maybe running the SEO channel, and it would be customer acquisition focused and then i saw somebody on linkedin talking about demand generation versus other like growth or demand capture and i was like wait i didn't know that that was like delineated within the job of demand generation manager so now it, it seems like people are shifting it a, a little bit up in the funnel the way i saw it described was demand generation is focused on out of market target audience and then demand capture was focused on in market target audience so people who are already searching for your solution
2: that does make sense I mean, because we had this conversation about like oat milk, where there was like in market folks that are lactose intolerant, like, absolutely, I'm going to opt for this. But then Oatly had to go up market and create interest and intrigue around this new product for folks that didn't necessarily need it. So that makes sense to me that like demand generation, you're literally creating out of nothing interest in your product, whereas Capture is just meeting people where they are already maybe looking for what you can offer.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's just maybe the jaded old man in me coming out, but it just seems like we're reinventing things that I learned in college when I was studying advertising. That's what we used to call it was advertising. Yep. Advertising. Or brand marketing. That's what
1: it all sounds like. Like you want to get in front of people who aren't in your, in the market for your solution. And so you want to stay top of mind. You want to, you want to be seen, what is it? 13 times until they decide to purchase. And that was what we took it, like in my classes. So I was in the journalism school and studied
0: what was called strategic communications at the University of Wisconsin, go Badgers. And um, we took PR classes, advertising classes. And we actually had one really cool senior year. I guess it's kind of like a seminar class, but it was actually workshop oriented. And we worked with Land's End, like the legit brand. You know, people from the company came in and we did like a campaign for them, a full integrated marketing campaign. And at no part in in the campaign did we say, hey, we're going to like, create landing pages for best blue jeans, or you know, like best, like fleece sweaters or whatever, like our campaigns were oriented around like sentiment and creating interest in land's end versus other competitors and creating brand awareness. So it's like to call and maybe it's because we're in B2B and maybe like a lot of people who are working in our space haven't maybe had traditional marketing, advertising education in college. It just it almost seems like demand generation is a function of demand generation. It's almost like a circular loop <laughs> where it's like people who are selling demand generation from agencies have to create a wedge that is different from everything else to be able to say, hey, here's a new pain point. Here's what you're missing.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, not. I don't want to go in this direction because it's irrelevant, but if you think about all of, there's so many concepts and rules in our day-to-day life that were created by marketers. Like there's a lot of unnecessary parts of our routine. I mean, I've even heard it said that like breakfast was created by one of the big like food companies.
0: Well, that slogan breakfast is the most important meal of the day that was created.
1: Yeah. It's
2: like not necessarily scientifically sound for every individual. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, (laughs) right. So if you, if you really drill down on that in the, in our realm, like a lot of this excess, terminology that we struggle to figure out what it means probably came from someone that had to make it a thing in order to make money.
0: My my kind of cynical take too is that it's almost designed to make David's you...
2: looking at breakfast right now. Oh my <laughs> God, it was invented
0: by Kellogg.
2: Yep, <laughs> Yeah, right, the healthiest cereal
0: <laughs> you could possibly have. A bunch of fast carbs and sugars.
1: Uh, that's, oh man. That's so funny. I, I thought I knew about like marketers being the the ones pulling all the puppet strings and all the ways you're doing it. But this one surprised me. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. we had talked about halitosis too. The example that I gave was that halitosis was
0: invented by public relations yes. yeah. to uh, drill in that pain point that, hey, your breath, your bad breath isn't just a personal thing. It's actually like a disease, you know, and there's a cure for it. And it's Listerine. So,
2: <laughs> Well, the funny thing is like, some people might need Listerine. Some people might need to eat breakfast, but in order to make as much money as they do, it has to be like a global issue. It has to be a new norm. And I think that that's kind of infiltrated at least our industry of like, everybody has to have demand gen. Everybody has to have growth. Like everyone has to do this. And it's like, first of all, are those not all kind of the same thing? Kind of? But also have we not examined what you're selling and who you're selling to in order to determine what teams and functions you should have?
0: The point that I was going to make on this too is that it, it, there's there's always this question in my mind is is like the world passing me by and i am i an idiot do i just simply not understand like the new terminologies and delineations and, <laughs> and buckets that we're bidding people in or or is is it meant to make me feel that way is it a sort of like like, is it supposed to be confusing? And, and I used to think about this with enterprise B2B websites where, you know, coming from a CRO background, we talked a lot about clarity of messaging and value proposition and uh, even like ad to copy match. So like when you click an ad, like does it match the landing page that you end up on? But almost always companies like Salesforce and like any big brands would break those rules and you'd go to their website and you're like, I don't know what they're selling. And, you know, the, the cynical take, that you usually end up on if you ask five whys is well maybe they just want you to talk to a salesperson
2: one hundred percent
0: maybe they want you to feel like you're a little bit left behind and confused and voila like this you know magic wand this genie appears and and they can help you understand and uh, offer a solution for it so I wonder that sometimes with uh, all these terms we're creating is it like meant to make us feel like we're a little bit lost
1: I know one of the memes that we've been sharing a lot is the midwit meme mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's sort of like there's money to be made in the middle there with people thinking things are really complex. There's incentive to make it seem really complex. And then you can come in as a savior to help simplify and make it easy. But really the solution is very easy. Like if we're talking about SEO, it's like write great content, build backlinks. And then in the middle, there's people talking about like optimize meta descriptions, use AI to automate processes, like optimize web page speed and all these things. And it's like, sure. But just write great content and build backlinks, <laughs> and I think we've been kind of sharing that message a lot. And sometimes I'll, I'll talk about it on a on a sales call, and prospects bring up all these other things, and I'm like, yes, but not yet. Like that's like the the cherry on top. You're focused on champagne problems. You have all these other stuff you need to take care of before you even worry about those things. Like anyone who tells you to do those things now is just trying to get your money and like 100%. make things sound really all complex.
2: Right. Yeah, it actually again <laughs> segue. Um, I have spent a lot of time the last couple of years like revamping my skincare routine. As the only girl on this podcast, maybe the other women will relate to me. They sell you so much stuff through influencers and all these like websites and these ads that you just really don't need until you've gotten the basics down, like protecting your skin barrier, healing some stuff that came from childhood or other stuff. And it it just fascinated me how. It's like this shiny object syndrome of like, this can fix this and this can fix this and this can fix this. And it's kind of the same thing. But if you don't have that fundam- those fundamentals down, the basics, the foundation, you're not writing great content, you're not building backlinks, like tweaking a meta description is really not going to move the needle, much less make you any money. And it's just amazing how when people jump to the tactics because it's like actionable. It's something to do. It's a box to check and it feels like you're moving forward.
1: So I actually I care a lot about my skincare routine. I used to be super complicated about it. I use these products by Brickle. Oh, I use those like too. Kind of expensive, but makes me feel better about my skin. And I got hit with an Instagram ad and it was like, get our sample kit of like 15 products or something. And I was like, Oh, it's it's free. I just pay for shipping. So I got it. And I got like 15 or 20 of these small little sample size things. Yeah. And Lisa was like, What's all of that? for you're not actually going to use all that are you and i'm like i actually don't even know what they're used for it's like a day serum a night serum a restorative yeah. serum i'm like i just threw them all away to be completely. Honest. dude you need like a, a air table to like
0: manage your workflow of like skincare products yes
2: your like skin <laughs> cycling <laughs> calendar and all i that. bought
0: one of those too by the way david oh like mid-pandemic i had like probably 12 products did you and- use them I lasted about two weeks because my morning and nightly skincare routine was like 25 (laughs) minutes. Uh, In in addition to like all the other stuff you do to to wind down for bed, you know, flossing and brushing and all that. And I didn't do anything like that was. And obviously like people, and this is part of the sales pitch too. They say like, well, it's not going to work right away. You you got Six months, it's going to take six months to notice it. I'm like, I'm not.
2: I didn't realize you guys had invested so much in your skincare routine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it all
0: comes back down to the same meme too. Because Ali, I don't know if you've seen these memes, but like with skincare, there there'll be like a, a picture of like Gollum from Lord <laughs> of the Rings, and it'll say like you know twenty seven product skincare routine, and then it'll be like like some immaculate man like Timothy Chalamet or something like that, you know, perfectly clear skin using and bar it's like, soap, yeah, like Dove soap or <laughs> yes. something.
2: <laughs> yes, most men can get away with that. But honestly, if you think about it, a good face wash, if you wear makeup, cleanse twice, and a good moisturizer really. And SPF basics. If, and if you're not doing that, you don't need to layer on like six serums because it's actually probably going to work against you if not do nothing. So the parallels are
0: clear. Well, there are two sides of this too. And I think one side is that people can create new pain points. They can create new, what's the uh, painkillers versus multivitamins. So people are always trying to create more painkillers. They're like, Hey, I didn't, you didn't know this, but you also have this problem. It's not just moisturizer you need, but you need like you know, six or seven different things that you weren't thinking about. Yeah. And that's a little bit more common in sales marketing. This is demand generation. The other side is, God, I don't know. Einstein was quoted, you know, he's, he's been attributed for every quote, but I think there was something around like, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it. Hmm. So the other side is, Sometimes I think people just don't understand what they're talking about. So they use a lot of highfalutin language. They use SAT words like I'll do sometimes. <laughs> and it kind of masks the fact that you don't truly understand what the essence of the topic is that you're talking about. So I, I think that you, you, you can kind of see both of those, especially if you spend enough time on like LinkedIn or Twitter or just generally in the marketing space. When people are floating out 27 different acronyms, I'm like, like what do, you, do you actually understand what you're doing? For the business and how much of this like how much action are you taking if you're you know this weighted down in the complexity of of high intent revenue opportunities and like mql sql pipeline like what are you doing
1: <laughs> i feel like the the theme of this pod is tearing down people who overcomplicate things particularly thought leaders on linkedin and being like i actually i, I think you've been doing this alex where you just chime in like and start arguments of like wait, that doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> That's the only way I have fun on LinkedIn. Yeah, just chirping, chirping a little, talking a little shit. Well, the only reason we, we can talk about this, and this is true of a lot of people, by the way, so if somebody's talking about something a lot, or especially if they write a book about it, it's not usually because they're naturally an expert in that thing. It's usually because they struggled with that thing. So I think the reason that, you, that all three of us tell each other don't overthink things is because in the past we have done that. You know, so it's like we need to remind ourselves that that's actually not the best course of action. So we have little heuristics that guide us back towards the path of simplicity and action and results. You know, if you're writing 27 books about stoicism, like I don't know, how do you manage your anger in your own life?
2: How stoic are you? <laughs>
0: All right. So cue us back in. We were talking about demand generation, where it sits, what it means. And then I think the parlay is into brand because the ultimate question, the one that I wrote an article about in 2019, because I had the same pedantic quest to define a term that people are using with frequency is what the hell does brand mean? And not just brand, like what the hell is brand awareness? I'll, I'll say it. It was at HubSpot, obviously, like if you look at my LinkedIn. But I remember when campaigns would be murky. If they were like, it wasn't clear, like what the end result was in terms of the goal, people would be like, well, yeah, it it only drove 10 signups, but we got a lot of brand awareness. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what do do you mean brand awareness? Are you talking about the impressions? Because I don't think impressions equals awareness. I'm sitting across the street right now from uh, what is called New York eye care. So I've seen my impression count is incredible because every day I wake up and I work from this desk, I see it. But I've never engaged with it. It's never resonated with me. So like, what the hell does awareness have to do with it? Or what the hell does impressions have to do with it? The reason this is brought up is because setting the stage, Snoop Dogg was part of a campaign. He was, he was the center of a campaign for a smokeless stove. He tweeted that he was giving up smoke. And uh, later on, it was announced that it wasn't that he was giving up smoking weed. Of course not. He was giving up smoke barbecues, I guess, and going for smokeless. And later on, what happened was, and this was really fast, by the way, so like the turnaround, I think the campaign launched like two or three months ago, and then a couple weeks ago, Solo Stove, they announced that they're firing their CEO. Because the campaign, while it generated a ton of virality and impressions, it didn't translate to sales. So if you look on LinkedIn, there's a million different takes, a lot of them really, really good from brand people. And the two directions that people tend to go are, yeah, like awareness is a stupid metric. Like, why are we trying to go for virality? Like, obviously, that isn't going to translate to sales. And then the other side, which I think is compatible, is, yeah, but the timeline, like, obviously, you're not going to see sales in two months after like a viral campaign. Like, that's not the point. You're measuring the wrong thing. So like firing the CEO is short-sighted.
2: I just wonder, like, this is a really good awareness play, but what was the next step? Like, how did it connect to capturing <laughs> demand? Like, what? How, how would it have translated to sales? You know, if I became... This is the first I've ever heard of Solo Stove as a company, right? So we talked about, what, 12 to 13 times of exposure until I decided to make a purchase, uh, given I was in market for a smokeless, some, another. I, my questions would be like, how frequently was it out in the world? What were the channels... I'm assuming it's something pretty expensive, if it's something like a stove or a fire pit. And then what were the actions that folks were asked to take that would have brought it in funnel for a marketing team or a nurture team or a sales team even? this is, Again, I haven't dug into it, but do do you know what those were? What those next steps were?
0: I, I think that was unclear. And I, I I think that's the crux of the issue is there probably wasn't a plan in place. Right. So the word that we use, we used to use is integrated marketing communications. So how does this facet of the puzzle fit with the rest of the holistic goal? And how does each step lead to the next, or at least like in theory, obviously everything's a little bit murkier in reality, but it seemed like they didn't really have a plan to bring that awareness into any sort of engagement and into any sort of sales funnel. So I think that's probably the crux of it.
2: Yeah. I just found a content marketing Institute article on it. Uh, It was published six days ago. Two primary blunders they mentioned, brand awareness with sales as a success metric, which feels like you're speaking two different languages, like there's no translation there. And audience building content without CTAs to retain the audience, which is what I just asked. I feel like hiring uh, Snoop Dogg probably costs them millions. And for that to get the green light without very clear... Actions in place, like I feel like Snoop Dogg should have been the cherry on top. You should have already had the foundations laid, landing pages, CTAs, like audiences built on Twitter, LinkedIn, even like strong search presence. Then you layer on Snoop Dogg, and you have like someone driving traffic all to those like destinations. Right? That to me feels like a. Mm -hmm. It seems like they did it backwards.
0: Yeah, I think you're hitting on something important, which is what, what is the proximate goal of the effort that you're putting into this? So like in our barbell strategy, we delineate between two extremes, which is the product led content, the product led SEO, where your goal is generally to generate a conversion. And then the other side where it's buzzworthy content. And generally, the goal there is to either generate awareness and traffic or backlinks, which backlinks facilitate the conversions and the rankings of the bottom funnel content. So we wouldn't measure the buzzworthy content in terms of conversion rate. In the same way that we wouldn't measure the success of a bottom funnel list goal in terms of like how much generic traffic it's bringing in, so your ROI point is is important because obviously it's expensive to hire somebody like Snoop Dogg, but like let's imagine their their goal. This was part of a digital PR campaign to generate a bunch of backlinks. but it worked really well if that was their goal.
2: Sure, <laughs> or views and traffic to a site that was ready to receive that audience. I just went to the Solo Stove website no mention of Snoop Dogg, no pictures anywhere, nothing to connect even the homepage back to this, what was probably a gazillion dollar campaign.
0: Oh, that's so interesting.
2: That's to me is like, those are two different entities. Even if I was fascinated by what I think was a YouTube video with Snoop Dogg, I wouldn't have thought, I'm going to go buy this.
0: Yeah. And I still think there's a disconnect between what people say when they say brand awareness and impressions, because I don't know how many people even like we're in marketing. So we're reading all the takes. Now we understand that it was solo stove that was behind this. But do the majority of the people that saw those memes on Instagram about Snoop Dogg giving them smoke? Did they actually follow up and understand this was a stove brand campaign? I don't think those two are directly connected. So it's like, maybe you didn't even measure brand awareness effectively. Maybe it wasn't about the impressions. And that actually gets into some studies. This is the cool part about brand, by the way, is like, you know, we, we consider ourselves more quantitative. And I think we generally are with regards to the data that we use to inform SEO. But brand marketers have been doing deep research for years and years and years. Like Nielsen studies, like there's really cool like, correlational studies. And on one of these posts, we're gonna have so many reference links in this, by the way. On one of these posts, there was a study, I think it was from Meta. Yeah, now famous MetaDeck from, I'm not going to be able to say this name, Marta Sikierska. There was a study on like brand awareness campaigns, and they actually found no correlation between clicks, click-through rate, and ROI. It was resonance um, and engagement metrics that did it. So there's a couple charts here on one of the links that I posted. Clicks are not a proxy for sales. There's essentially zero correlation between the two. Another point was that most sales happen later offline. So that is obviously pertinent for solo stoves, less so for the companies that we work with. But it's like a little bit, it's like kind of that tracking goal problem where you, you maybe can't connect the two. But the effectiveness metrics are more important than the mirror exposure, the mirror impression metrics, which I think has a lot of strong tie-ins with SEO and our beliefs there too.
2: In living in Chicago, when I'm on the highway, there's a ton of billboards, which we don't ever dabble in that space. But when I think of like brand or brand awareness or exposure without being able to tie it back to a direct sale. I think about you know offline print. And that exposure is still really valuable. But if I wasn't also encountering those brands online, on social, where I actually make a purchase or make a purchase decision, to me, it's kind of pointless. Because it's like, why are you exposing me to your brand name, spending probably six, seven figures on this massive billboard and not at least giving me an opportunity to re-encounter and make a decision or make some sort of conversion action, even following you on Instagram, right? That's better than just seeing a billboard. So again, just coming back to like creating that bridge from in-person exposure to what would probably be an online purchase nowadays. And I don't envy those marketers because that's a very, very long bridge to build.
0: Well, the cool thing about those brand campaigns that you're talking about, billboards and like HubSpot sponsoring NFL games. Now I went to a Jets game and they had sponsorship slots there. The cool thing about that is you can actually quantitatively measure portions of it. So you can do mixed modeling and you can do holdout sets. So you can you can advertise in certain geographic locations and then you can do aided and unaided awareness surveys. Hmm. So basically, this, the definition of brand is murky, but most people agree that it's something ar- around like the real estate that you occupy in your target audience's mind about your category, right? It's like, yeah. if I said name a CRM, whoever you name is, is a form of brand awareness. If it said, right. do you know what HubSpot does? And you mentioned the correct thing, that's a form of brand awareness. And if you said, name five CRMs, that, that set, if you're included in that, like there's different ways you can measure it. So if you do those surveys nationally and you have holdout sets, you can run statistical tests to say, all right, here's, here's the lift that we've achieved given these campaigns. And maybe it's like you can do that with sales as well, but you can at least do it with aided and unaided awareness surveys.
2: It's interesting seeing HubSpot branch into like bigger picture marketing with those kind of audiences. Like who am I to judge what percentage of Jets fans would purchase a CRM? But seeing them acquire the hustle and branch out as essentially a media company, I feel like they're also probably looking to attract visitors and followers in that sense, too to then ultimately nurture them down the funnel for for a purchase of their software. But it makes like that makes more sense to me. If they were, if they were marketing at NFL games when we were there, hadn't yet acquired the hustle, hadn't yet cleaned up like their podcast presence, that wouldn't make any sense to me. But they've really covered a lot of real estate and and provided a lot of ways to adopt the brand with or without paying. So to me like that does make sense. It's really interesting. I bet it's really expensive. <laughs>
1: So I, this all makes sense to me. Like I didn't study marketing, so I don't know a lot of these things that y'all are referring to. And I I think brand's really important. What's the issue with it? Is it like companies think about it too soon or they don't know how to think about it? Because when I think of startups, I'm like, oh yeah, you definitely shouldn't be thinking about brand, but should they? I don't know. I think
0: the issue is that nobody defines what the hell they mean by it. It's just if you get a little clarity on what you're actually like designing your goals and your system for, then you can make a smart decision as to whether it's the right time and the right budget to allocate towards it. But if you just say this murky category of like, oh, awareness or, oh, brand, and you don't actually have quantitative ways to measure that, or if you don't have a system that allows that to parlay into later sales, then it's almost always going to be disappointing.
1: In in my mind, when I think about startups, then I kind of mix brand with maybe positioning or like associations where let's say you win a deal and you ask like, so why'd you choose us? And they, they explain why they chose you and use the exact language that you use to describe yourself. And they say like, yeah, I didn't choose this other solution because it seemed like they do this and you focus on this or like, why didn't you choose us? And they might say like, oh, well, it seems like you focus on this and they, they do this and that's what we want. Like that might even help reinforce whether you have the right brand or I'm like now, combining two different terms, but I think, I think think like startups just, they don't actually, yeah, you're right. They don't define it. And maybe they actually mean positioning rather than brand. And now I might just be confusing listeners. (laughs) Well, Hey,
0: let me, let me, can I jump, jump in real quick? Cause I'm actually reading April Dunford's second book right now. And I've read her first one twice. Like I love this stuff. The way I understand it is positioning is an internal exercise for the most part that defines which area you compete in, which category you compete in, who you compete against, what your core feature sets and differentiators are. Basically, it defines the landscape or the battlefield where you're going to be competing. The messaging flows from that. So that's basically what you were talking about with maybe the voice of customers. So like, why do you like us? Why do you choose us? You're going to translate that into concrete messaging on your landing pages, homepage, ads, etc. And then brand is something that actually is in the hands of of your audience. So you can't actually control your brand entirely. That's the real estate, the sentiment that that you hold space for in in your audience's brains, right? So like that's, you, you you try to define it as much as you can and your positioning will dictate sort of who you reach and how you reach them. But brand ultimately is a little bit out of your control and brand campaigns are how you hope to change that, how you hope to raise that bar, how you hope to change the sentiment.
2: I think the issue, I think brand reputation is always important from the first sale, but investing in brand, I think folks try to do it too early, A, they don't define it, like you just said, and it's really, really hard to measure. So if you're investing VC funds uh, really early without having that landing pad, like we just talked about with solo stove, that's typically where people go wrong as they start way out in the world to try to attract folks to something like their website or their product. And there's really nowhere for those folks to land, nor are they asked to come in that direction, like no CTAs. I also think good brand can't replace shitty product <laughs> so folks will start to like invest outward into again brand campaigns trying to attract the audience and then they don't focus on retention or their their product or their service quality and so they end up churning all of these new folks that come in from this like fascinating brand and they're like oh I'm going to check this out and they're like oh this is actually shitty which then it cycles back through to brand reputation
0: yeah, like the media marketing initiatives, those are more so trying to trying to hit you on a lifestyle or a top of funnel level and if you haven't defined like how all of that fits into your core positioning and product, it's usually wasted effort or so, well, especially at the startup stage. It it obviously differs as you grow and as you need to reach new and adjacent audiences.
2: I think that you can weave brand into even what would be performance marketing or seo like you can have pieces of your brand and your copywriting and in the imagery that you choose and how you even do your sales calls like that can all be present on like a micro level but in investing in brand like how they did with snoop dog without having any performance metrics or really bringing it back to sales in any way that's where i see a lot of folks go wrong
0: well i i, I do i think that brand is mostly an output or it's emergent from other activities that you're usually doing. So like you you don't have to delineate between... like A performance marketing campaign can result in unaided awareness or it can relate, it can translate to brand loyalty. Mm -hmm. But vice versa, maybe not so much, right? It doesn't necessarily mean because you've done a brand campaign that that's going to generate performance or sales. But the other way, it could, I I believe.
2: Yeah, it's interesting when you said brand is kind of a it's kind of out of your control. Like it's it's partially how your audience stitches together their perception of you. And I think about like Coke, like share a Coke. I feel like that was probably just one campaign. I don't know a lot about it. So if you guys do correct me, I feel like that was probably just one campaign that they did. And it ended up being what resonated the most with the audience. Like Coke being this like cohesive way of bringing people together. I think that actually informed the bottles with the names on it. Like Coke realized that it resonated not only in terms of affinity and reputation, but also sales. And they're like, oh, this is now part of our brand because our audience responded positively to this. Like we took that reaction and used it as a data point to further this brand like direction. (laughs) And now I think it's like most of what people consider when they think of Coke. They think of this like very friendly, fun, loud, like community product. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's interesting when you said it's partially out of your control like you really have to lean on your audience and like get that like you said those sentiment surveys.
0: Well, there's two things, there's two things that you're measuring which is saturation, so it's like how much of your ideal target audience knows about you, and then there's the other one which is how do they feel about you? And I think those two can actually differ, and it's not always based on brand campaigns. So, we'll cut this out if they send us a cease and desist, but Zoom info is known by everybody. But I don't know how much you've seen on Twitter or LinkedIn, but they've got horrible predatory practices with regards to cancel it. You have to, like, send them a notice six months in advance to cancel, and, like, they delete all your data, before, like, right when you do it. And, like, there's crazy shit. Talk to Pat He's That's part of their it. brand now. Exactly. So how people think yeah. about them is way different because everybody in B2B knows them. But what does that mean if everybody knows you as, like, kind of a shitty company?
2: Yeah, That's why reputation is a really, really important thing right out the gate. Like even if Zoom Info didn't run any like brand campaigns or use any influencers, that would always be present anytime people talk about them, refer them, warn away from them. And that goes back to how you sell and like your product quality and your interaction with every member of your team, even all the way through customer service.
1: This is one of those things where I sometimes fall into the midwit where I'm like, oh, we have to do these things perfectly and give every client like the perfect client experience, knowing, knowing that that is not always possible and there are things out of our control. But I start overthinking a lot of those things where if we present in this way, how might they think about us and how might that impact our brand and how might that change the way that they talk about us to their friends and colleagues and stuff like that. And so I this a lot of this is kind of new to me um in terms of like the level of depth like i don't think about those types of surveys or anything like they make sense in theory but haven't actually done them and i wonder for the average marketer who may not be privy to a lot of these things like what's the actionable thing for them to do in terms of how to improve brand and things like that rather than like not running super bowl ads you know I mean, I would
0: simplify it and look at it like a two by two matrix where it's like, well, do you, you have to define your positioning and your target audience, your ICP. And once you do that, you can quantitatively do this, or you could just kind of gut feel it every once in a while and just say, all right, there's on one axis, like your saturation and on another axis is your sentiment. So in some cases, no one knows about you and those that do hate you. That's bad. <laughs> there's another case where a lot of people know about you and you don't really have good sentiment. So we could say maybe like a well, Zoom info, there's probably a lot of fast food restaurants that would fit into that category. And then there's others where it's like not many people know about you, but those that do fucking love you. And I think that's, I've heard it referred to as a speakeasy brand. There's a lot of really cool spots in New York City that very few people know about, but those that do, it's just, they have this, this really rich, uh, like they love it. They're evangelists of it. And uh, on the macro, the top corner on the right is those brands who everybody knows and everybody loves. And you, you also kind of have to define where you need to even be to be successful, right? Do you need everybody to know about you, or at this current stage you're at, is it, wor- is it better worth your time to focus on sentiment, which could cover many factors? It's not just like how you're writing about your brand and your copy on your ads. It's also how do you treat your employees, how do you follow up uh, in terms of customer success? Like there's there that's where it's like just generally running like a good business. Um, becomes important.
2: Yeah, it's really hard, I think, for service businesses specifically to predict what stands out as like a des- deciding factor or maybe like a, a negative factor. So there could be folks that hear of a company and they treat their uh, employees really well, and that helps close the deal or that helps move the deal along. That's a positive input. Or there could be a prospect that hears that a company treats their employees. Poorly, And even though it has nothing to do with the, the, qual- the quality of the product or the quality of the service, it's something that like, almost pushes them away. And I think it's it's really hard to know what stands out in prospects' minds or even your audience's mind. But I think generally just doing good work and training people well just goes back to like, don't overthink it.
0: <laughs> Isn't this the number one rule of, of content marketing? Talk to your customer, isn't that where? can <laughs> we think. just take everybody's advice at this point? <laughs> You'd think. One thing I thought was interesting uh, along the lines of this brand awareness, this everything we've been talking about is we've all talked about the SEO heist. I think most people listen to our podcast. If I just say those two words, people are going to know what that is. But essentially, ByWord, uh, it's like an AI tool. I believe that they take on clients as well. They worked with this company called Causal, Causal.app, and basically scraped a sitemap of a competitor um, who is essentially an Excel training company. So it's very informational. Uh, I believe Causal is is more of a software product for CFOs. Uh, I might be mistaken on that, but they ripped off their sitemap and basically rehashed a lot of the content using generative AI. Got a bunch of traffic, talked about it, maybe got manually penalized. Maybe it was an algorithmic thing. Nobody really knows, but basically they're at zero now. One thing I thought was interesting is I read an article... The author is Andrew Holland of uh, this article from Search Engine Land, and it was uh, the untold story of the great SEO heist. And it was a broader point on generative AI and the future of the Internet and how brand matters more and, and information is becoming commoditized and information gain and double eat and all the stuff that we talk about all the time. So that, th- there was a section in it where he, he talked about how the traffic they generated wasn't actually related to the audience they were trying to reach. And I also saw a LinkedIn post from somebody who works at Causal talking about their year and, and how they grew to 400 customers. And I'm not sure if that was within the 12 months or like whatever the time frame was with SEO. But I was thinking, you know, like they had been millions, like 2 million visits a month or something like that in terms of organic search. And like 400 customers feels pretty low for those types of numbers. So it, it just made me think like, what, what, what is the value? And obviously we talk about this all the time. It's David, your traffic trap. It's In a nutshell, it's a traffic
1: trap. Yeah, they got a bunch of low conversion intent traffic, which may look good if pe- that's what you want or if you're an advertising business. But if they only got 400 customers from that, that's that's actually pretty surprising. I thought they would have at least gotten, I don't know, a thousand, just throwing out a random number out there. But that's really low conversion rate.
2: Correcting that traffic is going to be painful. <laughs> Letting those like low intent pieces go. I
1: mean, they got manually penalized is, is what people are saying. So now I know,
2: but even just re uh, allocating your topical authority, like letting some of those high volume, high performing, but really low intent pieces go, it's going to be a painful, painful year.
0: Dude, if that was me, I would just give up on SEO. (laughs) Do you know, do you know the 75 (laughs) hard challenge? Yes. So for those who don't doing
2: like 75 medium.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So 75 hard is 75 days of basically very hard training and, and other things. You stick to a diet.
2: It's a diet, two workouts a day. One has to be outside reading 10 pages of nonfiction, water, a gallon of water. It's really not that hard. It's just, I think the two workouts a day is what's difficult.
0: Two workouts a day is tough and outside in the winter in New York. Really? The the, the point I was going to make is that part of 75 hard is that if you mess up once during those 75 days, you have to restart the clock at zero until you get to 75 consecutive days. So that's, that's one of the most important pieces. And I was just thinking like, if I had grown to like 3 million visits a month or whatever they were at, it went back down to zero. That's like going to day 74 and having a beer. (laughs) And then you're like, Oh, I got to start over at zero. I would, I would simply not start again, but that's just me.
1: (laughs) Uh, that's painful.